0: This is With You in the Weeds.
1: Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Roush.
0: And I'm John Tenen. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we wanna be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started.
1: Well, here we are on With You in the Weeds and we are in our series about beliefs that will keep you stuck. And Shay and Austin, we've got a really good episode planned today for our listeners, don't we?
2: I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be fun. It is complex, but but fun.
3: Yes. Yeah. We're going to yeah. tackle
1: some hard topics today. But you know, on our last episode, we talked about this belief that people have that your past doesn't matter, that we can just avoid it, ignore it, cut it off, not deal with it. But today, we're going to explain why your past really matters actually maybe more than anything else. And today we're going to look at a biblical foundation as to why we should explore the past. We're also going to look at the neurology or the brain science reason why the past is actually never fully in the past. And finally, we're going to just give you some practical ways of how you can begin to look at your past and see the impact That it has. But, you know, I've been watching The Crown lately. I know everybody has their series that they're into right now, and I know it's been out for a while, but I recently started through it, and oh my goodness, what a fascinating! tale of the royal family.
2: Shay, are you watching this too? I am not. Okay, Shay's no, into I'm, a different series. The, okay, that, breaking
3: bad. That I will, not, enough, I
1: will yeah. not explain. <laughs> but I'm really excited about it because my sisters and I grew up in the 80s and the 90s just loving and admiring Prince Charles and Lady Diana. In fact, we woke up early in the morning um, the day of the royal wedding to see her walk down the aisle and get out of the carriage and... You know, we followed her fashion and all the trips that they would take, the birth of William and Harry. And so we felt like we knew Lady Di, right? I mean, we we had a personal connection with the prince and the princess. And that is one of the reasons why we were so devastated, as were many people, when Charles and Diana separated and ultimately divorced. We just we couldn't believe it because from our vantage point— they had this idyllic romance, they were so in love, and we just could not in our small little young minds, we could not understand what forces could possibly be driving them apart. <clears throat> yeah.
3: Yeah. Well for me, the royal couple was Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. Right? Okay. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean if you think about it, if those two beautiful rich people can't make a marriage work, what hope is there for the rest of <laughs> Just us? Just all right? mail it
2: in. <laughs> Stay tuned for our marriage series, people.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, how do ordinary people like us, without the wealth, without the privilege, without the beauty, I mean how do we make it work? How do we keep it together, right? Um but you know, as I'm watching the crowd, I'm I'm deep in the weeds, if you will about the families that Charles and Diana were born into, the past experiences that brought them into this marriage. And now things are making so much sense. Now, I do know uh, the crown is only loosely based on past events. And and a lot of the private conversations in this show are largely manufactured. They're made up. But here are the themes that I'm seeing. Uh, Favoritism. In families, you know, favoring one child over another, adultery being normalized in a marriage, keeping family secrets, intense jealousy among siblings and family members, power struggles, obviously, intense public scrutiny. These people are living in a fishbowl um, and a lack of emotional connection and just they lack the sense of safety and security. And so as I'm watching this play out, I'm thinking, no wonder no wonder they couldn't make it work their past and the setup of their lives and their families laid the groundwork for how they were going to go about their marriage the needs the hurts the expectations they brought into their relationship and my point here simply is that to understand the present you have to go back to the past.
2: Yeah, you're saying the more you thought about it, the more you realize some of this behavior just didn't happen out of nowhere. It was grounded in past very specific, particular, in a lot of ways, tragic events. Sure. And, I mean, Captain Obvious here, this doesn't just apply to big-time royal families. This applies to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a relatively small example, but for me, I'm thinking about where my love of Duke and Duke basketball started. That's right. Boo. Uh, I am a Duke fan. Cue the haters. Uh, Second only to my love for Mizzou. But I became a Duke fan primarily because I remember watching games with my dad starting at the age of six or seven. So, you know, the point is this, this love just didn't randomly come out of nowhere. It's rooted in something specific in the past. But also, there's another important part of this. You know, that assumption um, that to understand the present, you have to go to the past. It's not just this catchy cultural phrase or a truth discovered by modern psychology or you know Netflix shows. It's actually founded and rooted in the scriptures.
3: Yeah, the the teaching sometimes in the church or just the belief in general is that we don't need to deal with a past influence on us. It's really unbiblical because it keeps us. I think from bringing things done in darkness into the light mm. and, and having or bringing to bear God's grace on those areas and having God heal those areas.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and remember, when those areas are affecting us in the present,
2: they're really not the past, are they? What You mean, can you say that again? When they're affecting us in the present, they're not really in the past? Can you say more? Yeah, in the sense,
3: the things that happened to us in the past, if they're still having an influence mm-hmm. on how we... Mm relate to God how we relate to others um, even ourselves then it's a present reality yes, something done yeah. in the past is a is a present reality that God wants to deal with mm-hmm. and bring healing to maybe yeah uh, but one with you know back to the to the point one of the main passages that people often misinterpret is what Paul says in Philippians 3. And if you remember uh, the context of this, is is Paul brings up his past. He says, "Remember, I was a, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I was um, uh, in regards to the law. I was, I was very righteous." He he brings up all of these things that were true of his past, hmm. and then he says this. He writes, "But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." But one thing I do, now this is the key verse Mm -hmm. that that people point to and they misinterpret, but he says this, forgetting what is behind Mm. and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so what is behind Paul is not his hurts or situations that require him to forgive someone, or even his old sins, the past that Paul is forgetting is his old way of trying to achieve righteousness. Mm. See, he spends the entire first part of this chapter listing his accomplishments to illustrate to the Philippians how he vainly tried to please God, but it didn't work, he says. So he's leaving the old system behind. He's found a new faith mm. in in Christ. It's through Christ that he's made right with God. Mm. And, and I think this is an important point to understand. What Paul is saying is, is that in order really to become a Christian, we not only have to repent of our old sins, but we also have to repent of our righteousness, uh, we have to repent of thinking that we can somehow make ourselves, through our efforts, right with God. No, we're we're reconciled to God through fra- faith in Christ. It's his record that matters, not ours.
1: So it's his belief that he needs to look back on and change, not so much he needs to forget like everything that's ever happened to him in his life. That's, that's exactly influenced right. Him. That's kind of— the distinction you're making i think that's important
3: yeah see one of the reasons for understanding the past that we see in the bible is to repent to turn away from patterns we maybe learned from our families and the old testament is full of examples of god confronting his people of walking in the wicked ways of their fathers and repeating generational sin. We see it over and over, more than we realize. For example, Nehemiah tells us in Nehemiah 9.2 that the Israelites confess the wickedness of their fathers. Mm. And so insight into our past and confession breaks the chain of generational sin and gives us hope. And it means those sins don't have to be passed on from generation to generation. Yes. Right? And, and we see this. Uh, alcoholism, maybe there's a genetic component to that. But for whatever reason, alcohol alcoholism runs in families. Um, it runs in my family. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I became a Christian, I, I wanted to break that generational sin. I didn't want that, that to happen in my life and to be passed down to My kids. I I wanted something different for my family. So I think God is always willing to forgive those who acknowledge their sin and repent. The chain of generational sin can be broken. And much of repentance is looking at the past to see what you learned from whom you learned it and how you are repeating that pattern today.
1: That's a good, succinct way of describing it.
3: Yeah, Yeah. maybe it's racism. Maybe you grew up in a family where there were racist comments made, and you said those same things, and you you say those same things today. Maybe it's alcoholism, as I mentioned. Maybe it's things like your parents got hurt by a church member, and therefore they stopped going to church, but that meant that they kept you from going. Hmm. And that's not been for your good, for your
2: health. And you want to break that cycle. Yeah, I think just to summarize what you're saying, if you want to break that cycle, you want to change things, you got to know what's happened before so that you can make a difference. And so what you're saying, I think it's really helpful is a reason to look back in the past is to figure out some of these generational sin patterns so that you can go a different way. If Mm -hmm. you don't look back, you're just going to keep going down the same path. That's a great clarifier,
3: Austin. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's a big picture here. I, I want us to understand that we live in a fallen world, right? We've said this many times, but this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And, and that means that there are hardships, there are traumas, there are pains, frustrations, injustices that happen to us, mm-hmm. it, living in a fallen world. But even as Christians, there are ongoing sins in us that God wants us to deal with. In fact, Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says this, the psalmist says, search me, O God, and and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me Mm -hmm. and lead me in the way of everlasting. Um, What a great passage. Yeah. See, what happens in and to us is the ongoing, complex, and dynamic process that creates and informs our personal stories. It's the setup of our lives, uh, to kind of go back to, to your illustration, Lynn.
1: Yeah, the setup of the royal family <laughs> and the, the consequences of that just play out in that storyline. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: And, and so two realities emerge from this process. We, we, we are this reality of living in a fallen world. We, we realize that we are victims, right? Number one, we are sinned against. Uh, Things happen to us that are tragic and awful and painful, and God never intended for them to happen. Um, We are sinned against. But secondly, we are also sinners. We sin against others. Mm -hmm. Uh, We intentionally inflict hurt and pain on others in differing levels and degrees. And if and when we ignore or minimize the past— we will fail to understand where, why, and how we interact in the world the way we do, and will continue to experience and transmit pain and hurt. Now, I, I just want to point out uh, a, a couple of important caveats. Uh, first of all, going to the past doesn't mean we're looking to simply be the victim or absolve us of any responsibility, mm-hmm. right? We're perpetrators of sin and also victims of sin. But another caveat that I think is really important that I mention here is that we have to remember that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 8.1. In other words, our past sins, our our past shame is forgiven in Christ. And and too many people that I talk to think, you know what, I I understand I'm forgiven, but I somehow got to make up for what I've done in the past. That somehow God's going to hold that against me. But we need to rest in our Father's love for us in in Jesus. There is no condemnation. So let's put those past sins Mm -hmm. and thinking that somehow we got to make up for it before God. Let's put that behind us.
1: Yeah, that's so important.
3: Uh, But let me just give you maybe a personal example here of how our past uh, can affect our present. You know, when Lynn and I first got married... Um, now you've got to understand that Lynn and I come from two different backgrounds, economically. Country
1: mouse and city mouse. I'm from Chicago. You're from Centertown, Missouri. You could not find two more opposite places for two people. City to be born. girl,
2: country boy. Classic, Classic
1: American romance. romance. Yeah, yeah. How in the
3: world, you know? It's like it's, a country song. Yeah, exactly. But um, but we also grew up with you know in, in families with different mm-hmm. uh, economic conditions. And sure. so uh, when we met, I, re- I remember in, in growing up in a divorced home and uh, a, a dad who was an alcoholic and didn't always provide for us financially, um, I just always remember that I just had this fear that I'm going to be on my own and is is... Am I going to be taken care of financially? Am I going to be out on the street? And, I'm, and that fear really drove me to mm-hmm. work really hard as a student in school. And uh, so anyway, um, we get married. And guess what? I bring that idol that I had made of money. See, see rich people can have money as an idol, but so can poor people. Mm-hmm. So we get married. We don't have a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I have this fear around money. I've made it an idol in my life. I look to it for my security, uh, for my sense of well-being. We get married. And so the, that first month of of marriage, Lynn, you remember, I'm looking at the credit card and everything that you were spending. I was. <laughs> and, and like, why do we need yeah, all of this stuff? Right. It, I'm
1: like, I'm buying toilet paper, toothpaste food to put on the table i'm not out buying you know like fancy lynn Lynn was
2: called into the principal's office okay you've got some explaining to do
1: i every month i had to give an account for what i was buying money for because granted he had been single on his own living very frugally and now all of a sudden you know he's married and i'm buying you know things for our house and to make it beautiful (laughs) and all that so let's just say the first couple years were were rough. And I think, you know, I, I'm glad that you're telling this story because it's such a great example of how you grew up with this fear that you brought into the marriage. And at first, I think it was just subconscious, like just that being driven by that fear and anxiety. And then over time, you began to recognize, oh, this is rooted in my past. Mm-hmm. This is connected to things that happened to me when I was growing up. And look how they're influencing how I'm treating my wife, or how I'm dealing with money, and you know our finances. So again, great point and great example of how our past just affects our present.
3: Yeah, I was making us both miserable, and I was hurting our marriage because you, you know this idol was controlling me, and uh, it was really a, a healthy process to kind of deal with, to understand my my own heart, to understand that idol and that fear that came around money, and then to 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 learn to trust God. Yes, that that. Yeah oh, wait a minute, I have a Heavenly Father yeah. who's sovereign in my life and is going to take care of me, and I just need to to trust Him. Mm-hmm. And in dealing with that idol, I think, helped us get through right. that. And It's been a I stopped process. looking at the uh,
2: credit card statement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, that and, has helped. You wouldn't have been able to say that and be where you are if you hadn't gone to your past. Mm-hmm. So that's a great example of what can happen. Mm-hmm. And, and Lynn, we were talking about this before, just a little bit ago. On the one hand, there might be people who go to the past to try and absolve themselves of responsibility. But you said that you see another group of people. Can you say more about that?
1: Yeah, I would say that oftentimes, maybe more often, I have clients come in who are very reticent, fearful, hmm. um, almost unwilling to look at their past because we all you know, want to protect our parents. I mean, I think that's just an inherent thing. And so I kind of sometimes have to convince people, look, Your parents gave you a lot of good things in life, and we're not diminishing that, and we're not trying to turn them into monsters. On the other hand, you didn't get everything that you needed from your parents, and they may have even done things that harmed you. And so we're just here to kind of look at the landscape of your life and name and acknowledge what those hurts are, where those needs weren't met. Because again, unless and until you do that, you're going to be operating, just like Shay's story, out of some subconscious thoughts and feelings that we need to deal with in the present if you want to break those cycles.
0: We'll be right back in a jiffy, but we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, Think about texting this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at with you in the weeds.
1: Okay, so we've looked at the biblical basis of why looking at our past is important, but now I want to get into the brain science behind why your past matters and you just can't avoid it. And here's how I want to simplify it. From the day we come home from the hospital, our brains are kind of considered online, like Wi-Fi. It's picking up signals. And we begin to take in all of the emotional and psychological cues that are needed for our survival. So very simply, the right hemisphere of the brain is fully operational. It's taking in images, sounds, sensations, and the emotional cues of your environment And that's what's known as implicit memory that operates on a subconscious level, and that stays with you through the course of your life.
2: It's almost like a sponge that's just soaking up stuff right from the get-go. From the Mm get-go, yeah.
1: Then we have the left hemisphere of the brain, which directs the logical, linear, and verbal functions. And that is what we call our explicit memory. And it takes longer to develop. And usually up to the age of 25, our brains aren't fully formed. And explicit memory requires conscious awareness that comes with age, like, you know, what your earliest memory is that you can consciously remember. But basically what's happening is, like you said, mirror neurons, and sometimes they are called sponge neurons, they're receiving information at a rapid pace. It's recording, it's storing images like a movie camera, and these create neural networks that become enduring pathways in our brain And the reason why God wired us that way is those pathways prime or prepare us for future events. So they're always in play. They're always in the background of our conscious awareness. And this is important for our survival. But one way to look at this is to see the brain like a lamp. So all the neural networks have been laid since birth. And then now in your present, those neural networks can get triggered and it's like plugging in the lamp. So, think of that part of your brain lighting up, and guess what? Now you feel as though you're back in that previous point in time.
2: Mm, So, like, if you see the facial expression from somebody, that plugs into the time when you were 10, when your teacher gave you that look. Right. And you just feel shame and guilt through all that. When you see that in the present, Mm -hmm. lamp is plugged in, and boom, there you go.
1: Exactly. And that's, again, like I said, that's a basic survival mechanism. And when we're totally dependent on our caregiver when we're growing up, um, this is an important way that our brain knows, you know, who to trust, where we get safety, where we get our needs met. But we're developing this sophisticated mental map of ourselves, the world, and how relationships work. And as we start to assess our environment and the emotional connections we experience, we're going to start to make critical decisions about who we can trust. And these are things that implicitly direct the trajectory of our lives. So again, think of the map as a roadmap of information that has been constantly forming new neural networks since birth. And so, just simply from a neurological standpoint, we we just can't ignore that those early childhood experiences are going to shape us almost more than any other factor because that's when our brain is the most impressionable. It's like wet cement.
3: Yeah, Lynn, it sounds like if that's the case, that our brains are taking in information from an early age, that your parents are going to have a very profound effect on you, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. I
3: mean, your parents... Or the primary adults in your life that were responsible for your emotional, physical, and psychological needs are going to make the first impression on you. Mm -hmm. I, I know that everyone's story here is different, but maybe you didn't grow up with both of your biological parents. Maybe you were raised by a grandparent. I know that my grandma played a big role in raising me. So obviously there's a variation on who your primary caretakers were. But but whether they were your biological parents or other adults in your life, it, it doesn't lessen their impact mm-hmm. on those early years. I, I mean, we know that God created us for deep emotional connection. In face-to-face relationships, so it makes sense that our early experiences really shape us.
1: Yeah, and that's so true. And so, like I said, you know, even if we wanted to leave the past behind, <laughs> we have one huge hurdle: our brain, a little stubborn. Yeah, brain the stubborn old brain, in right? Away. And and here's another mind-blowing thought that I just want to put out there for you guys. And I don't remember where I heard it from, and I would give credit if I knew. But in some sense, at this present moment you are every age you ever have been. Okay, I know. It's like time warp, right? (laughs) Like at this present moment, you are every age you ever have been. But if you think about it for a minute, it actually makes so much sense because your brain contains memories that are alive and active that date back to every part of your life, right, from birth. And so they may be contained in your implicit memory, so you may not be consciously aware of them all. That would be totally overwhelming to us. But nonetheless, they are a part of this autobiographical map that has shaped who you are today. And this is why I encourage people to really take their story seriously, because honestly, you can't ignore it no matter how hard you try.
2: That's so good, Lynn. Okay. So I'm still, let me just wrap my mind around this whole, your every age you've ever been. Right. You're Uh saying that, that all those memories and experiences that you've gone through, they're still with you. Yes. So they've, they've been stored and in some ways, big or small, they still impact and affect you in the present for better or worse. Mm -hmm. Seem right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say this other thing, and I know you guys have been hanging with us. Give me like two more minutes of thinking really hard. Um, a lot of my clients, they ask me a fantastic question. They, they ask, how will going back into my past help me in the present and future? Because mm-hmm. I always ask like, hey, you, do, would you consider doing this? They're like, yeah, but why will this make a difference? Right. And, and here's, here's what I'd say. When we process and dig into the past together, it's healing. Mm-hmm. Um, let me give you an illustration. Um, let's think of all of those, you know, any hurtful or painful past memories and experiences. It's like a broken vase that's just been in your backpack it's you know clanking around you can hear all the pieces moving around it's just broken but when we sit down together and explore the past it's like we're taking these pieces out of mm. that vase one by one putting them on the table so the question then is how do you put them back together well you have to you can't just remember them but you actually have to relive them mm. and what i mean is that you have to go back to those memories to those places and experience the emotions again which is really can be really apprehensive and cause a lot of worry and panic, Mm -hmm. but that that's how it happens. The difference though is that you're going back and remembering those in a context of a safe and secure environment with somebody who's processing and holding these experiences with you together, also known as the counselor. Mm -hmm. You know, in um there's a guy named Stephen Porges, he's a psychologist, neurologist, and he was speaking about what is needed for healing like this. And he had this great phrase. He says, safety is the treatment. Yeah so simple and so profound. Mm-hmm. Safety is the treatment. And if and when you can get this and you can do this with these m- memories, a funny thing starts to happen. That broken vase, it gets glued back together. You know, it doesn't look like it did before it's broken. Of course, you know, it still has scars and you see where it was broken, but it's put back together. Mm-hmm. And so what this means for real life is that those past experiences, they no longer have that experiential power they once did. You know, I've seen, you know, personally and with clients, they're not as paralyzed or as sad or as angry. Now, if you do this, you're not going to forget them. We're not talking about like having a lobotomy and just Mm. no memory of it. You're going to remember them, but they're going to be more like a dull ache Mm. rather than a sharp pain. So how did that happen? What happened? Well, researchers are finding that this reprocessing and re-experiencing of the past in the context of a safe counseling environment means that these memories have essentially been kind of like flushed out of the system. Um, there's another woman, her name's Bonnie Badenock. She's an author and a therapist. She wrote a fantastic book called The Heart of Trauma, and she makes this distinction between memories that are embodied versus memories that are encoded. Embodied memories are the ones that still hold power in our physical bodies. These are the ones that haven't been processed but they're stored and they've got a negative effect on us in the long run. Encoded memories are the ones that have been processed in a safe environment with another person. And she talks about this is the goal. So all that to say, just threw a lot of information at you, the point being, This is how and why healing can happen if and when you're willing to go back into your past and reexamine that so that you can then change your present.
1: Yeah, I love that neuroscience has confirmed what the Bible has always taught, that we are hardwired for relationships. When we experience disconnection, that creates fragmentation internally. It creates hurt um but those places can be healed when they're brought into the context of as you mentioned a safe person a non-anxious person, and certainly into the presence of God, ultimately, who who is the great healer. So, great explanation on the brain science, but mm-hmm. how do we do this practically, okay? Because we have people listening <laughs> yeah. going, okay, you've blown my mind that I'm now yeah. every age I ever if have If you've been. tuned
2: out, come back, because right. now we're getting into the nitty-gritty here. <laughs> like, what practical. should I do?
1: Yes, okay. <laughs> what do I do? A couple of practical Help things. Me. Help. Help me. Yes, here's just some takeaways. One is you could create a timeline, okay? This is something you could draw out on a piece of paper. You could draw a line and you could segment it for every five years starting from birth, you know, zero to five, six to ten, and so on. And you could just write down, what's the most significant thing that occurred in my life during that five-year period? Or to be more specific, what's one positive thing that happened and what's one negative thing that happened? Maybe there are sections of your life where not a lot went on, and that's fine. But you're just starting to get, again, what that you know autobiographical map looks like. Another practical way would be just make a list of your top five most positive memories and your top five most negative memories. I mean, that would take you to some pretty interesting places if you took the time to yeah, do it. Yeah, and
2: I tell people, go with your gut. Like yeah. you just sit in like silence, what comes, and like, up. what comes up first, boom, go
1: with that. Exactly. Yeah. And and to that point, Austin, I would just say a really practical suggestion when I work with clients, because a lot of times they'll say, well, there's just so much there, I don't even know where to start. So I encourage them to really pray, as you said, sit in silence, you know, silence and solitude, and ask the Spirit to illuminate their hearts and to show them what is that past memory or event that's the most important thing Mm. that God has his finger on that he wants them to address.
3: So this isn't navel-gazing, but it is in some sense just reflecting on your past and letting God bring to mind some areas that that maybe have been some hurts, some pains, and that are affecting you today and you didn't realize that. Yeah,
1: it's an exercise of self-reflection where we're Allowing God to search us and to show us what's there so that we can understand what's happened and how has that affected my Yeah,
2: Psalm 139.1 leads off with search me, O God, and Mm -hmm. know my heart. In other Mm -hmm. words, God knows it all. The question is, do we know it? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing, if you don't mind, if I had one more thing here, there's a great book. uh, It's called Generations Deep. By mm-hmm. Gina Berkmeyer. She's a Covenant Seminary grad, licensed therapist, great author. Uh, this book tells her own story and how she worked through her past, um, but she also includes a really thorough questionnaire at the end just to help people understand where and how they might have been impacted in their past. I mean, it's something like, Forty or fifty questions like, wow. what was parenting expectations like? Mm. Uh, how was money handled? Was anybody, you know, going through medical issues? Just, it's a great diagnostic. I'll include
1: that in our show notes. Yeah,
2: yeah, to mm-hmm. to just to just give people a chance to start. And, and in my experiences, has helped the ball rolling for people who, like you said, aren't really sure where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another practical thing you can do as you unpack and explore your past. It's really important, and that's to grieve, mm. you know, to mourn and lament any of those sad and hurtful memories in your past. And and this is grieving as a verb here. And I'll never forget, I mean, it's one of these moments, I remember where I was sitting when I heard this. One of my professors, Dan Zink, said, he said, whenever someone is abused or abandoned, they need to grieve to grow. And it's it's so true. And so grieving, it can look a lot of different ways and there's not a consistent timeline for how long it needs to happen. But I think at the very least, this means that you need to actually get sad. And shed tears. Now, with that being said, I know for a lot of people, this might feel really unnatural and maybe even scary. Like, I've known people who haven't actually cried in decades uh, for lots of understandable reasons. You know, maybe if they did this in the past, they were shamed for it. Maybe you got yelled at, maybe punished. I get it. But I always go back to Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4, that Old Testament prophetical book. It's a verse that's speaking about the coming Messiah, who now today we know is Jesus. And it says two things that are relevant to this point here. The first, it says that this coming Messiah, Jesus, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. So Jesus, he knew grief. He's familiar with it. The second thing that the verse goes on to say that he bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. There's this assumption that we have griefs and sorrows, but there's also the assumption that Jesus wants to bear them and carry them with us. He's right there with you, open arms, mm-hmm. but he doesn't wrestle them away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, He's waiting for us to hand over that broken vase. He's ready and willing to be with you as you grieve. So if nothing else, there's a biblical foundation for why you can grieve.
3: Yeah, and I would encourage you to, in our Managing Your Emotions series, yes. we did a, a whole episode on grief and the mm-hmm. importance of grieving uh, in, in our lives. I encourage you to go back and maybe listen to that if you want to. I, I think a second practical thing that we can do in our lives is we have to remember the importance of just confession and repentance, right, of, of things that uh, we have done in the past that maybe we haven't confessed or repented of. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been sinned against, but we are also sinners. Uh, we're guilty of hurting others. And so are there others out there in your life that God has brought to mind that you can— go to and make amends mm-hmm. and uh, make things right. Now, you can't go overboard in this because obviously we've probably hurt a lot of people in our past, right? But is there someone that maybe God is impressing on you that, that hey, I need to go and I, I need to just own up to what I have done and, and hurt them in some way. Also, confession and, and repentance, <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, helps us break that generational cycle of sin. And so we have to examine ourselves. Uh, we, we have to bring those things into the light uh, to see if there's any hurtful way in me, as the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Uh, so d- does God have his finger on an area of our lives that he wants us to deal with? Um, because if we don't, we will repeat what we don't repair.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: See, guys, what happens, uh, for example, when a jerk becomes a Christian? Okay. This, is a, this, this, is a, this is a joke. It's <laughs> like a
2: setup for a joke.
3: What happens <laughs> the when a jerk
1: called? Yeah, or <laughs> out of jerks.
2: What happens when a jerk becomes a Christian? Mm-hmm. Well, they're still a Christian jerk, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
3: here, here's a common yeah, okay. example. This is what I mean by mm-hmm. them, yeah. mm-hmm. right? You you struggle with say the idol of power and control, because when you were growing up, you felt powerless or your family life was out of control. Now, fast forward to adulthood. You're committed to being a very successful in, 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 in the business world. And then that person, right, you become a Christian or that person becomes a Christian and they decide to leave the business world and to go into ministry and become a
2: pastor. Well, guess what? Their past is totally wiped away from <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Please tell no. me. No, no, no. 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 They, they still
3: have that idol um, of power and control operating in their lives and they end up abusing people that they work with, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, as, a, as a pastor, I have, I just want to mention this, I've seen, for example, alcoholics come to faith in Christ and they never drink again. They never struggle with it. I want to admit that. Um sometimes God does that in people's lives but oftentimes who we are before becoming Christians it, it remain we, we have to work still through a process those of growth that, for, that's exactly yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Exact, just like I had the idol of money right mm-hmm. in, in, in my life um, and, and so it happens all the time in in, in ministry that's why we have to where uh, someone comes in they still have the idol of power and control. And they think, well, now I'm a pastor, I'm not going to deal with that, but but they do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we have to examine ourselves and see what idols are still in our lives. And we need to keep fighting against those idols because they, they continue to affect us.
1: Yeah, and I'll just say, every time you say the word idol, I always think that's obviously connected to something from the past. So anytime you're naming a sin from your present, again, the whole point of this episode is it's most likely rooted in yep. a past event that hasn't been healed, hasn't been addressed, hasn't been dealt with. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah. Real one final thing on this section, and it's just about pace. You know, if and when you begin to explore your past, uh, follow your gut. And if you're not ready to dive into something, I'd say just listen to that part of yourself and stop. You know, there's no rush here. Doing this exercise, it's a marathon and not a sprint. So, what I advise people to do, what I'd say is just err on the side of going slow. Okay. So we're getting close to landing the plane and ending here, but I just thought it'd be good to share a couple of signs of growth. You know, how do I know if I'm actually getting better and growing and healing? Now there's, this could be a whole episode on itself, but let me just give two main ones. Here's the first one. Can you tell a coherent story of what happened? You know, as I sit with people, I'm checking to see if as as they tell the story, there's a clear beginning middle and end, and if it is, it doesn't mean there's not stuff to work through, but by and large, it shows me, okay, they've, they've kind of done some work. But, you know, if the story that they're telling is kind of fragmented, kind of stopping and starting, and, you know, people kind of get this look in the distance, jumping all over the place, when I hear that, it tells me there might be some work still to do. Mm-hmm. So, the coherence of the story is one sign. Another sign of growth is, is paying attention to what's your level of emotional reactivity, as you think about these memories? You know, do a bunch of emotions just come flooding in and you go from zero to 100 like that? Or are you able to stay relatively calm and you're not overwhelmed? You know, this is the difference between a dull ache and an open wound. You know, if a lot of this stuff still feels really fresh, uh, then it's a sign that there may need, uh, you may need to do some more work and healing. So those are just a couple couple of signs. Very
3: practical, Austin. Really, really good. Um, I I think we have to remember here to close is is God is the author of our story, isn't he? That's what we see in the scriptures. He determines the time and the place we were born, the family we were born into. And the reality is, is he's sovereign over our past, Um, even the hurtful things done to us. But he wants to redeem the past You know, there are certain besetting sins God may have His finger on in our lives, certain ways our past affects us. Maybe it's alcoholism in families. You can break the past. Maybe it's the way you were parented in unhealthy ways. You will parent the way your parents parented unless you break that. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's ways you've been sinned against or you've sinned against others, and you need to make amends where possible. Though none of these processes change the past, They nevertheless redeem the past. That's what I want you to understand. See, God is in the process of making everything new. He's in the process of repairing all that has gone wrong, rebuilding what sin has destroyed. But in order for Him to deal with our past, we need to bring all our broken parts to Him.
1: Yes, that is so beautifully said, and I've really enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for being with us in this series on beliefs that will keep you stuck. Stay with us because we're going to tackle some more topics that will really benefit you and hopefully get you unstuck. So thanks for being here, guys.
2: Yeah, it's, it's been fun to be here and look forward to future episodes. Have fun today, guys.
0: Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope, and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember,
1: God is with you in the weeds.